Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Sit Down Zumok podcast. Coming at you. This is the Z-Man coming live and direct from an undisclosed location. I'm not giving my location away. But we have a special guest, a favorite of the podcast, here with me, Mr. Tony Mazur. Hello. I'm back. I'm back. I was here before uh, Thanksgiving. We did that uh, podcast, talk about the Christmas Story House. That's right. I actually got an email from, God, who did I get it from? Charles? Charles is in Alaska. Charles McCord from uh, the old Don Imus show, the news guy. <laughs> Charles McCord. No, but he's he didn't know that much stuff, that much uh, backstory on the Christmas story, so he loved it. Yeah, I got people ready for the holiday, and they can watch the different things. Uh, I, I did on my Christmas. Uh, I watched a very big Christmas movie, E.T. There was an E.T. marathon. They just played it over and over again, kind of like with the Christmas story. What channel was that on? Uh, AMC, maybe. Oh, geez. One of those cable channels. I was at my parents, and I, I cut the cord years ago, so I don't watch any. I really don't even watch any TV. Are you watching The Mandalorian? No, I was watching Canon the other night with uh, <laughs> with William Conrad. <laughs> like I'm a big Beastie Boys fan, and I was I was listening to their book on audio on the airplane, and. Uh, they, they they have such a love for those 70s cop shows. If you can listen to some of their lyrics on Check Your Head. Well, Cochise, like uh, from uh, the Sabotage video. Yeah. Oh, that was all inspired by, like, uh, Cannon, Barnaby Jones, Barnaby Columbo. Jones. It was it – was, <laughs> Barnaby Jones was – so it was Buddy Ebsen, who was Jed Clampett. So basically it's Jed Clampett who's a gumshoe, who's a de- gumshoe <laughs> detective. Like, it was never a really good show, but you just watched it because there were three channels at that time. I, I like the Barnaby Jones theme, though. Was well, that big... was a good theme. Rockford Files theme was good. And don't sit on uh, on Buddy Epstein. I mean, that guy was – he played, obviously uh, – what's his name from the Beverly Hillbillies? Jed Clampett. Jed Clampett, Barnaby Jones, and – and he was up for the Tin Man in Wizard of Oz. He actually was the Tin Man, but he was allergic to the makeup that they put on him. Really? And he had like a really bad allergic reaction to that silver makeup they put on. They gave it to Jack Haley, who ended up being the Tin Man. Oh, because I, I think I saw images of Buddy Hackett dressed as... Buddy Ebsen. Buddy, Buddy Hackett's the other one. Yeah. I, I can't get my buddies in order. <laughs> Buddy C. Buddy listens to the podcast. Buddy C. Ancy. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, those shows were they were fun. They were fun. Like you watch them on Me TV now, and there's but there's just so much TV that's on nowadays, and there's good TV. Yeah, 
it's just there's too much of it. Like there was a time where it was water cooler talk. You you go to the office the, ne- the next day and everybody watched the show that was on last night. Hey, did you see the what happened at the Columbo last night? Did right. you see Jack Cassidy was the guest star? And everybody knew what you were talking about. Now anyone who's mentioning, oh, are you watching, um, gosh, is, all these other shows? And I'm like, uh, what do you do? You have Amazon Prime. What do you think of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I don't. I I don't know. I I don't watch. You don't watch? No, no. I, I listen to podcasts. Yeah. I listen you, to po- I I listen to like twenty five podcasts a week. I think. Well, a few years back, I'll go to this story. Uh, we had the, uh, I don't know, was it the pleasure? We definitely had <laughs> we, the convenience to uh, talk to Todd Bridges. I, I did a oh, show. Yes. Todd Bridges, who played Willis in Different Strokes. He was, uh, he was at the Funny Stop in Cuyahoga Falls, one of my home clubs. And I remember I was living here at the time, and Pete was like, would you want a feature for Todd Bridges? I'm like, fuck yeah, I want a feature oh, for yeah. Todd Bridges. Are you kidding me? And you and I were kind of like picking his brain and talking to him between shows. And I remember asking him, I'm like, what was it like doing different strokes? And he distinctively said, dude, there was no channels. I was, everybody in the world was watching me. Like, that's how few channels there were. So when you watch different strokes, there were millions and millions of people watching him. Yeah. I mean, he, and well, didn't he? Didn't he take uh, the V card of uh, Janet Jackson? He, Is that he, what he, he, he claims? He claims that. Well, I mean, he told us. He, he didn't. He also said he saw Richard Pryor run down the street with his hair on fire. Yeah, I think there's some <laughs> exaggeration going on. He also said that Charlie Sheen fucked uh, uh, Corey Haim during the filming of Lucas. Are we throwing the? Are we uh, throwing Todd Bridges under the bus? <laughs> no, just, you know some of those guys that I'm not. They may stretch the truth. There's a lot of it, like. When you think of those 80s, things that happened in the 80s. Now, do you know the story about Heather O'Rourke? Any relation to Mickey? Uh, no, no. They Well, I don't know. At this point, they, <laughs> they, they're both shriveled corpses at this point. Oh. Heather O'Rourke was the one who, from the Poltergeist, who did, they're here. Oh, okay, yeah. Do you know she she died when she was like 12? Oh, I heard the a whole conspiracy theory on this. She's uh, is, is that Carol Ann? Uh, the blonde, uh, the young girl. Yeah, yeah. She was, um, she was twelve, and she died in 1988. Actually, right before I was born. And th- according to her death, it said she was experiencing or exhibiting flu-like symptoms. Uh, the following morning, she collapsed in her home and wrote she suffered cardiac arrest. But paramedics were able to restart her heart. Um, was she Nikki Six? It, yeah. <laughs> uh, O'Rourke underwent emergency surgery at 12.45 p.m. to repair an acute bowel obstruction, but died two hours later into operation. Now, you're 12. How do you have stomach and bowel obstruction? I don't even 12? know what that is. Well, there were a lot of people who were thinking that she was molested to death. Ooh. Is that uh, during the show Rocky Road... Do you remember this TV series? It was a it was an ensemble cast of children, and the conspiracy that's out there is that she was getting fucked, and along with the others who were on the cast, the the, the children who were on there who were performing, who were, who were getting fucked by these these directors, these pedophiles, and that they would be sitting there as they were auditioning and would be jerking off in the crowd watching these kids. And then, and this is where these parents just this is during the Michael Jackson era too, where the parents just drop them off and their kids get to be famous. And if 
somebody complains, they write a check and they go away. Yeah. You know, non-disclosure, agreement, everything. And that's the rumor that they said that Heather O'Rourke was basically molested to death and that her bowel obstruction wasn't uh, because of some, you know, uh, weird genetic issue. It was because of, you know, penetration. Wow. No, I heard something about that. But I also heard it was linked to Steven Spielberg. Oh, yes, I heard about this, too. Yeah. Because you notice that Spielberg has a lot of children in his movies. Now, I'm not saying anything right now. Yeah. But there is a lot of kids, speaking of E.T., in a lot of these movies. And some are wondering if that they've been included, people like a Tom Hanks, Steven Spielberg, uh, John Legend, I've heard as well. All linked with this Jeffrey Epstein case, yeah, and that they were around an island, and it's just it's a, it's well, when you start reading into it, the more you just want to sit around and just stare at the wall for entertainment. What he was your friend, <laughs> <laughs> Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes. Oh, how great was that? F- fucking phenomenal. It was the best. It was exactly what needed to be done at the time in a room full of A-listers. Like it was it was a big bitch slap. Like wake the fuck up. You're not running shit. You're all idiots. You're, you know. Now I I don't know when you're going to play this. Uh, put this podcast tomorrow. You you are tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. So, as soon as I get it, I, I I'm sending it to Paul at Comedy Pop Up, jumping on a bird and getting the fuck out. Shout out to Comedy Pop Up. Yeah. There so you go. Tu- so Tuesday. So at this point when it's released, the Ricky Gervais thing is over a week old. Yeah. But. It kind of goes into, and I was looking at uh, Tim Dillon's Twitter account. Okay. And he was Very talking about how the, oh yeah, he's great. I loved him. In fact, and Tim was on a couple episodes ago. You can go back and listen, hit subscribe. He was complaining about, I don't want to say complaining, but he was talking about the uh, uh, Comedy Cellar podcast and this culture of wokeness. Did you see this? I did not, but I loved it. I love everything Tim says. So you're past at basically all the New York clubs except for the Cellar, right? Uh, yeah, Cellar and... Um Ah, fuck. Some other club. So, but this that's the one weird trend in comedy that I, I think I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit of a change now, is that people don't want to hear you talk politics on stage. And that includes people who are very anti-Trump, who are very woke. They, they just want to go to a comedy club, and they just want to laugh. Yeah. That all this other political bullshit that goes on, they don't want to be— they, It's just going to split the room. Like, like the the classic Gilbert Gottfried thing when he went out there and uh, at the Hugh Hefner roast and said that he's got to fly to Los Angeles, but they have a one it's a one way stop at the Empire State Building, <laughs> and he said this as the smoke is still smoldering from the World Trade Center, so it got people booing and they they couldn't believe they were about to start a riot. So what does Gilbert do? He goes into the aristocrats yeah. joke. And that brought everybody back. So how is it that you can make like a political statement that's going to completely split the room, but you can say something so grotesque and bring people back? It's 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 the hypocrisy of this business entertainment. That's why I'm taking a hiatus from stand up right now. I, I got, by the way, I got a ton of emails from people. Thank you for emailing. I'm okay. I just need a break because it's not necessarily the art form. I, I still love coming up with concepts. I still la- I love watching Ricky Gervais do what he did. But this climate we're in is really souring my love for what I do. And it's not just the climate, it's the people, the followers, the comics themselves. You know, we're supposed to be renegades, risk takers, not followers, you know, not 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 just trying to join the pack. And I'm really frustrated with this. And you know, I've had my fair share of run-ins with comics. 
and especially you know a lot of people in the Cleveland comedy scene who have gone way out of their way to quote unquote get me canceled from things. And I just need a break from it. I don't, don't want to. Don't say canceled. No, nah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> don't but, say swapcast. <laughs> cancel culture. But uh, no, I just I need to I need to get away from all of it because guys like Tim Dillon who are still being punk and being renegades and saying what they want. But do you think Tim can get away with it because he's gay? I think he has that in his back pocket. And that he knows he can do that because it's kind of like the it's kind of like what happened with Milo for a while is that Milo was able to kind of be rebellious because he was gay until until it wasn't convenient for for the corporate press and the left and everything. Yeah, but but Tim's not hooking up with the proud boys and he's not causing you know, I mean and plus he has Joe Rogan in his back pocket too. So Tim can also go play the card. I'm, you know, it's almost like a black guy. I could say the N word. (laughs) (laughs) But he's not your typical like here. I'm gay, and therefore I believe in trans rights. I believe in this, and it's like no. Tim's Tim's a guy who's a he's one of those classical liberals things. Is that he's somebody who believes in free speech and hates this woke culture and everything, but also he doesn't like. Megan McCain, either, which yeah. is really funny, too. <laughs> no, he's an interesting guy, and he's a smart guy, but but he's also a guy who who's not afraid to go against the grain, which is not – there's not a lot of those guys out there anymore. I mean, they're becoming few and far between. But anytime I hear a comic bitching about politics, I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. You don't know anything. You're just following the pack. That's all you're doing. They used to be the truth tellers. Remember that uh, that one time it was with George Carlin. You had Bill Hicks, and you had some of these comics. They were supposed to be the truth tellers. They were they were the people that would say things that every other people, uh, every other person was afraid to say. Yeah. But then you look at it and you realize that most of these comedians are, you know, I, I'd say the ones who have a platform are at least in their thirties. There's not too many twenty-something comics and everything, and. A lot of them don't do anything during the day but smoke pot and complain on social media about things. And I'm like, what worldview? So you're going to tell somebody who works at a blue-collar job how the economy is supposed to be? You're going to tell people who have children, while you don't have children, you sit around jerking off and you smoke pot, and you're going to tell everybody else what to think and say? It's just like these actors. It's like what Ricky Gervais was saying, is that you have really no right to tell people what to say and do and how to feel and yet of course they ended up doing that and they went on stage after ricky and talked about abortion and and the fires in australia and everything but uh, it really is just it's uh, thankfully it does seem like there is a little changing of the tide and comedy clubs is that whether you go to the cellar whether you go to comedy store is that people just don't people are just kind of bored right now with that and they want they want something new and it's almost like we're coming back to the days of joke writing and just being funny or even just a regular dick joke. That'll bring everyone together. It's yeah. a good dick joke. Like Nick Swartzen's a good friend of mine. And like if you watch his act, it's all it's all just silliness. It's complete silliness. And it's so fun to watch because he doesn't, you know, it's just I, I, there's nothing wrong with silly. He's not preaching. He's just bringing up diarrhea, farts and just stupid things that have drunk, you know, drunk episodes. I like that. I was just with Louis C.K. in Omaha, and I mean, you got to see Louis Hour, yeah, which is phenomenal. He's Fucking... gonna be in Akron here on uh, this weekend. Oh, is he? Yeah, I can't wait. Oh shit, damn. 
<laughs> I'd give him a plug, but <laughs> if you're listening, yeah, go see Louis. <laughs> but no, it's just like I, I just the whole the whole culture. It's it's it, it really sours me. So I rather not combat people online or fight anybody online anymore because it's just not worth it. I'm fighting a guy with 12 Twitter followers, an anonymous name, who's emailing comedy clubs to get me fired. I'm like, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm just trying to earn a living, man. I'm just trying to do, you know, something creative, something I put a lot of time and investment into. That's all I wanted to do. Well, that's what happened with social media is that there was a change probably maybe seven, eight years ago. Right, I would say probably right around the 2012 election when I think that's when you start getting – your parents and grandparents are on Facebook and now on Twitter and the then mom has Instagram is that it social media at the beginning was like a hangout. Yeah. And that's where they started coming after Kevin Hart and people's old tweets. And it's like, oh, I can't believe you would say this in 2009. Well, of course I would say it in 2009 because it wasn't the same platform. It's the same platform, but it's not the same uh, philosophy anymore on social media. At one time, when uh, having the days of like MySpace in 2004, 2005, you could just kind of say whatever you wanted on yeah. there. Just had fun. You put your music, you put your top eight people, you put like a, 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 a little profile at a bio and be silly and everything. And then you Facebook came around around that same time. And then you had Twitter. Uh, Twitter kind of blew up in like 2009, 2010. But still, it was like a hangout. You could talk about talk about whatever sports team or complain about politics or I have diarrhea or whatever the case that you have. And it was kind of a fun hangout. But then the rules changed, but those tweets are still there. So therefore, it's like, how dare you say this in 2010? And it's like, it's a way different platform than it was Back then, it was just it was more fun. It's not fun anymore. It's a hypocrisy, and I'll say mostly left because it really is. I've I've been a part of two, uh, what would you call it, two uh, Twitter uh, Twitter mob mentalities, and I I did a little checking the people that were really attacking me. I went to their profile. Did they put their uh, preferred pronouns in their profile? Yeah, very liberal, very (laughs) liberal, and they think. They think they're like really doing something by ganging up on somebody, but you are the bully now. You're the bully. I'm getting the death threats. I'm getting told to kill myself. Like you're not doing anything. They don't look at it like that anymore. And it's sad. You lost all. You lost all perspective on what this really is. It's not very progressive. It's because the thing. The thing that changed was and everything. Pat Oswald's doing on Twitter. He, he does the same thing to people. Yeah. It's the thing that changed was. Republicans and conservatives used to be the Bible-thumping zealots, and, and I hated the fact that—and this is, by the way, this is what's getting more people coming over towards Trump's side, even if they don't necessarily like him or want to vote for it's him. It's spite. It's spite, because they look at it because stuffy like f- conservatives—this is why Trump is in office, because stuffy conservatives couldn't win elections anymore. They couldn't sit there like a Rick Santorum and talk about, oh, you know— well, in my religion, and I believe in pro-life and this and that, and, it's, and I I don't use any b- bad language around the house. And people are like, "Fuck you!" Yeah, that's what it was. Is you can't you can't keep doing that anymore. You can't do oh family first and everything. So it, it kind of became punk rock to go against that. And uh, so conservatives were the 
you know, the the book burners at one time. That's changed now. Yeah. Berkeley, California was the home of free speech 50 years ago. Those same people will get a professor fired if they use microaggressions. <laughs> Or if, or if there's a speaker who isn't talking about abortion on demand, or isn't talking about uh, Iran and you know uh, wearing a hijab or hating white people, that if there's a speaker like Ann Coulter or Ben Shapiro, they're going to protest and burn the fucking place down because they don't agree with speech. Yeah, it's like this was the free speech home at one time. Yeah, what happened? What changed? And a lot of it's because of social media. It's it's sad, but so true. So when you really uh, take a look at yourself in the mirror, you got to really assess the situation. Like, are you helping? But are you or or are you the bully now because you have the keyboard in front of you? Because I know damn well if you see that other person on the street, you're not going to do a damn thing. You're just not going to. But you feel comfort in your own home on your smartphone or on your laptop to say whatever you want. How many of those people that preach diversity on social media have black friends? That's my favorite, is when they talk about, you know what, we need more diversity. We need a more diverse, and it's like, okay, how many people in your contacts in your phone are people of color? And a lot of them know. Or the people who talk about, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and all these other cases, and they're like, I know where you live. You live in the whitest suburb possible, and you go home to your white home, to your white husband or wife, and your white dog, and your white children, if you have (laughs) children, and your white neighbors. And your white mice. While you're sitting there on your computer talking about, it's really unfair about police brutality. It's like, then what are you going to do about it besides complaining on social media? What what are you doing to help? Yeah. (laughs) Now, I live in the heart of it all. I see it, and it soured me. I mean, this year has soured me. Because when I first started comedy in 2004 in Los Angeles, you know, it was when MySpace was a thing and it was fun and I was excited. You know, I wasn't as jaded as I am now. I was eager to get out there and there wasn't as many comics as there is now. But now in 2020, it's it's fucking it's everyone's lost their fucking minds. Yeah, they're all medicated. They're all high. They're all trying to get on stage. They all think they have something to do. It's just it's a it's a very different time. I mean, we talk, We could talk about it at, at the end of the day. You just got to look at yourself in the mirror. Because like, that's who I want to hear from as a comedian who has to medicate his or herself just to watch the news. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's who I want to hear from the truth teller, which goes back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, is that when you go on stage, you be the court jester. You, you're joke teller. You're be Stephen Wright, be Dave Attell, be somebody who's going to make me laugh. I don't want to I don't want to hear about morality uh, like if I'm a father and a husband and I have a couple of kids and I'm putting them through school and, you know, whatever the case is, I don't want to hear some asshole 32-year-old comic on stage with a beard and a flannel shirt tell me how to think and feel about my life. When it's like he goes on stage and goes, well, so I smoke pot and, uh, you know, I started smoking pot a lot when Trump got elected and I've done it every day since. So I think I'm a drug addict now. Yeah, that's who I want to listen to. Yeah. It's it's a it's fucking sense. joke. It's just sad all the way around. And by, by the way, for full disclosure, the, the, what we're talking about right now, Chad and I, this is our phone conversations. Yeah. It's just basically we're taping a phone conversation we have. It's a nice vent session. Just a, get a like-minded person who sees all the nonsense and the bullshit, and you just vent. It's just fun. Yeah, every now and then you got to go to the echo chamber. It's a verbal shit. 
because well, what... you we, you deal with that on a daily basis. So you're you're somebody who's active on social media and you post something, and it's just no matter what it you're. You're on the offensive yeah. every time. So you can't even post a tweet. So uh, so the Browns hire, for example, a, a head coach. And if you say, I'm not a big fan of this hiring, you better believe that you're going to have 12 people who are going to come after you and say, what are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about. You know, this is a great signing. And you're like, so I have to be on uh, on the offensive and defensive at the exact same time instead of just going, hey, here are my thoughts. I put it out there, and then I'm going to go to the gym. Yeah, I tweet less and less about that like, just because I just don't want to deal with it. But at the same time, um, I, I just love – like you, you turn on Netflix and they got all these true crime documentaries you know, about serial killers and murderers. Nobody seems to have a problem with this. But David Tell, tell – or David Tell, Dave Chappelle tells a couple – jokes that go against the grain and it's like oh no tom segura said a couple bad things oh we got to do something about this meanwhile i just watched the uh don't fuck with cats doc uh-huh and i'm, I'm thinking to myself this is okay really I, what is that about i see people tweet about it it's uh it's pretty it's a true crime documentary about this uh i forgot his like luca magnolia he was a serial i remember talking about this was when i was on the radio in cleveland it was about a uh, a guy who who murdered like cats on on video and posted them and the online community tried to track him down and then he eventually murdered a man decapitated him mailed out body parts to like uh embassies and then he was on the run he was on the lamb and they were trying to capture him they eventually okay. did it was it's pretty interesting but but it was it was a very brutal doc and it was 100 but it's just I, but people are all about it they love that can't get enough. And Do, what now? Why can't we get enough? About a year ago, we were uh, it was. Uh, I think there's actually an update to it, the uh, R. Kelly case, and then you also have the Ted Bundy tapes that were popular, and then the Ted Bundy movie with Zac Efron, and it, uh, the amount of Jeffrey Dahmer movies that have come out. And, Evil Genius about the girl uh, from Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah, and then uh, the Pizza and, Bomber, and then 2020 just had a special a couple of weeks ago on the Ariel Castro case. Jesus. So why are we interested in this? Because everyone's a hypocrite. Now, I, now I'll admit, I am definitely interested, and I love watching this stuff. But yeah, me why too. why do I watch it? I'm, I don't have the impulse to go, hey, I see a couple of girls down the street. I'm just going to capture them and put them in my basement. I can watch it and go, oh, that seems interesting. I mean, I think it, it's because you want to know what the human mind's capable of and how people can actually go there. You know, it's just it's fascinating to know that somebody is that twisted you know, mental health's a big thing in this country right now. I deal with depression. A lot of people have problems. A lot of people are medicated. But just to take it to that crazy level, to the level of insanity where you don't have any empathy or any kind of remorse for your actions, I think that's what people are drawn to. That's what's interesting. And that's been a thing for a while. This isn't a new thing because of Netflix. I mean, how many letters were people sending to Ted Bundy in prison wanting to marry him? And That's what I don't understand is the because they automatically become celebrities because of this. And people are drawn to it like it's entertainment, and not real life. Yeah. Like the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase was the birth of reality TV, in my opinion. Yet, if you go on Twitter, it's, hey, Twitter world's yours truly. Now, the NFL playoffs have been uh, – now, I, you know me. I'm a Bills fan, but I also play with the 49ers. And I'm like, 
And people actually tweet at OJ, and I do this too as a, as a goof, to tweet at him and say, hey, Juice, what do you think about this weekend against the Packers and 49ers? I, I, I think that, that offensive line for the 49ers is going to give Aaron Rodgers some fits, but, hey, it's still Aaron Rodgers. People tweet, like, serious questions. I'm like, he fucking murdered two people, and he's a celebrity now. That's Like, if he were standing in our, our room right now, would you take a selfie with O.J. Simpson? What, I, I would go out to dinner with O.J. <laughs> As would 100%. I. And and it's. I think it, we're saying we're part of the problem. Too. I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but the thing, if if you're having doubts about your life, you're going through some tough times. You know, you're you're down on your luck. You're down on your ass. Just look at O.J. Simpson. Just look at him as your role model. That guy brutally murdered two people, and he's on a golf course every day, laughing, playing fantasy football, and white women who look just like his ex-wife. Yeah. So it's. Things can turn around. I look at O.J. Simpson as a beacon of light, hope. He's a hero to a lot of us. Like, for me, an American hero. problems. I've had ups and downs. I've had public problems. But I look at O.J. and I go, you know what? Tomorrow might be a little bit better. And if I just hang in there, maybe I'll be golfing in Vegas at BW uh, Buffalo Wild Wings playing fantasy football with all my white hillbilly friends. And by the way, people could listen to us and talk about cancel culture and say that, uh, like, how dare you make light of O.J. Simpson? He murdered two people. And it's like, because we do comedy and we're supposed to be entertaining. Yeah. That's what that's the whole genesis with this cancel culture, like Shane Gillis. And like uh, your goal is to say the funniest thing possible. You're trying to be entertaining. And by all means, take this clip and pass it around. I need as much exposure exactly. as I can. Exactly. We support O.J. Simpson. We support O.J. <laughs> Put that on your Facebook. Tweet it out. Hit up the Huffington Post. <laughs> oh, hit subscribe. So, uh, by the way, you mentioned Huffington Post and cancel culture and everything. So I, I wanted to tell a funny, funny story. So for folks who don't know who I am, uh, and I don't expect a lot of people do, but I work in radio down in Akron, W-A-K-R, uh, and I've been here the last five years. But before that, I worked over at a sports station, The Fan in Cleveland, and I did a bunch of other stuff. But in my early 20s, I worked for Radio Disney. And I did this. Oh, I, I didn't did know some that. promotions for Radio Disney for a while. And if you want to talk about cancel culture and how everything is going, so we, I, I had to, I DJed Radio Disney events uh, throughout Ohio. We would go to Pennsylvania, uh, we go to California, and a couple other places. So we were kind of like a promotions team that would play the national Radio Disney feed on our station on mm-hmm. the old Wixie 1260 back in the day. If you're an old Clevelander. And uh, so we were doing this event down in Marietta, Ohio, just a bustling community, as some will know. And I was looking at what we needed to do for this event. And I'm the DJ, so I got to play music that corresponds to what we're doing. And so you're playing Killing of the Name. Of course, uh, you know, (laughs) Fuck the Police and, uh, you know, Die Motherfucker Die by Dope and some great stuff. And uh, so what ended up happening was we had – we had an opportunity for um, uh, this this game, and it was basically promoting fracking. And that's what it was. It was fracking. And whether you think you're pro or anti-fracking, we still probably shouldn't be doing that with children and, <laughs> and, and promoting it because it's kind of like a – it's a indoctrination technique, and that's kind of what ended up happening with that. Um, so what somebody took a, a picture – 
and was posting that. And they, they were doing these events about fracking around Ohio. It was called, I, I don't remember what the, it was called something blowing up Ohio or whatever it was called. So they did some in Worcester and they did some in like Columbus and the Cleveland area and Akron and everything. And the Huffington Post picked up on it and said, Radio Disney promotes fracking. This goes worldwide. This is a worldwide story. And somebody Jesus. says, hey, don't you work for Radio Disney? I'm like, yeah. And they're like, uh, here's a link to the recent story. And I look, and my fucking picture is on the front page. Are you serious? Of, of Huffington Post. Ah! It's me and a group of my colleagues that are there at this event in Marietta, just smiling with our Radio Disney shirts on and everything. By the what, like ballpark, what were you making at the time? Uh, about eight, ten an hour. So you just got lit up for eight, ten an hour nationally. Oh, it, it was, uh, it, it was unbelievable. Like no, now, nobody would know that it was me. It was just some asshole, a uh, couple of people. But if a link got sent to a friend of yours, like, hey, that's Tony. Yeah, uh, well, a couple of people did, and uh, I'm, I'm going to try and pull it up so I could show you. It was just oh. hilarious when I when I saw that. I'm like, oh, gee, I'm on the front page of Huffington Post. I was working at the Christmas Story House at the time, too. Oh, wow. And I was just bored, and I looked. I'm like, oh, well, that's not good. I should probably uh, <laughs> call my lawyer. But, yeah, it was – so what ended up happening with Radio Disney, that was the beginning of the end because Radio Disney is still around to this day – but it's only on in a corporate format, like it's serious and on the Radio Disney app. But they got rid of all the stations because of that, because they started looking into what the sales staff was going out and selling their product to. And they're like, are you really – they had to really go through a thin line. They're like, uh, we can't support the what you're spending money on. Yeah. And they decided to just pull the plug because of us. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Disney, sponsored by Blue Chew. Hey, Radio Disney, it's the Wakey Blakey Show. How's it going, everybody? Hey, we got Ariana Grande coming up in studio today. It's like, oh, God. Radio Disney, oh, yeah. It, look, it was it was a fine job. It got me into going to the Disney parks. I got free Let's go to Donald Duck stuff. for traffic. I wish it was like that. We had to promote those shitty Pixar movies at that time. God, although Mandalorian Frozen was popular, and we had to talk about Frozen all the time. Although Mandalorian, two thumbs up, big fan, loved it. The Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda. You know, a lot of Christians are really upset about Baby Yoda because they feel that it's uh, diminishing the uh, Jesus in the manger, mm. and that it's Baby Yoda is should be Jesus, but we're worshiping Baby Yoda. See again, I, this is what I wish Jesus was as cool as Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is adorable and. Kicks ass, big well, fan. Well, wasn't uh, wasn't Jesus in CrossFit? Oh Jesus! <laughs> there's that joke. Oh my God! I've had a dime for every time I heard it. Yeah, there's a lo- there's a lot of people who do the Jesus on a CrossFit joke. I've seen this one, including a couple of comics that we saw over the weekend. When Ted Alexandro had a joke twenty years ago, where he goes, "You ever look at the cross when you're in church and just think to yourself, man, Jesus had great abs." <laughs> and then he has a whole workout about it. So well, he's been, a great comic, though. Ted's great, and that's another. Here we go. Let's uh, tie this with a bow. Ted is as liberal as you get, and it's not something he just picked up on a trend. That dude was liberal from the get go. I remember when Obama was first running for president, and he he actually became president. He came to hilarities in Cleveland, and I was at the Improv with Josh Schneed. And I remember we went to see Obama speak, 
because Bruce Springsteen was there. He oh, was, yeah, I remember this, yeah. But earlier that day, all weekend long, Ted was going door to door throughout the day with pamphlets trying to get people to vote. I mean, he's always been like that since day one. He's been an activist since day one. So even though Ted says a lot of things, I do not agree, but I respect him so much because, you know, he's passionate. It's not He's not just reading headlines. This guy's informed, and it's his opinion, and I respect his opinion. And that's how everyone should think, whether you're a right, left, middle. Respect their opinion and listen instead of attack, attack, attack. Yeah. And you have somebody who actually can walk the walk there. Yeah. It's going to do it instead of just being a, a douchebag on social media, that you actually have somebody who is a has that opportunity to, uh, you know, like if you're that passionate about it. And that's one, one thing you see where you've gotten a lot of people politically active on the other side. So you, you have somebody like Chad Zumach is not necessarily you're not a political comic. You're not a political guy. I, I don't even know if you vote, but. What it, but you have been thrown into the political arena just like the Legion of Skanks had to. Yeah. That you were thrown into this arena because— Rick Mahorn boxed me out to this side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, he, he punched you in the face after Bill Lambeer tackled you, right? Yeah. Um, but you had to do that because it's like, okay, well, you're on the side of having fun. That— Stand-up for you, you've lost that feeling of having fun doing stand-up right now. Yeah. So Zero what, joy for me right now. So, like, when you get off stage and people clap, do you feel that that is a – that's hollow, that they're clapping because they're supposed to clap, they're laughing because they paid $25, $30 to get in the joint? Or, like, because that's how I – to, to All be honest, I know that's is how I feel. I get nothing from it. I don't think, why are they clapping? I'm just – I could be up there killing and just this destroying applause breaks. I get no. I, I leave the stage going. All right, I just want to go. Do you home. know what's a good set and a bad set anymore? I know. I know what I'm doing well, get, and they, I know what I'm doing bad. But do they start to run together then? Yeah, it just. I, I I'll leave that stage with no like. Oh, that sucked. But I'm like, oh, you know, I just don't care. I don't. I get nothing from it. It's just white noise, and that's that's a that's a sign that I, I need to take a time out. You know. Yeah, it, it. Do you think your material has gotten stale? Yeah, I, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I haven't really written anything. But at the same time, I don't want to. Like, well, you, I, you've spent the last year fighting with people, and it it drains you. Yeah, that kind of stuff drains you. Where, I, hey, kudos to people like Nick DiPaolo who can still come up with material and at the same time fight with everybody on on one side. It's because you either do that and be like a radio personality and you can go on the air and just talk shit about everybody and rip on them. Or you can do, you just be a joke. Like, do you think Dave Attell is spending time on social media and going, huh, let's see. Uh, at Jared 1318, uh, <laughs> said he didn't like, uh, bumping mics. Uh, well that really ruined my day today. Yeah. No, David tells not on social media. That's where it gives him extra opportunity to write more jokes and, and arguably one of the best comics in the history of stand up. He's living a, he's living a good life and that's what I'm trying to do is take a time out from all that noise cuz that's all it is, noise at the end of the day. And you brought up uh Shane Gillis um which is interesting. By the way, he knows who I am, which is very strange. When you find out somebody, yeah. when someone finds out who you, they know who I am, I'm like, that's 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 odd. But, Shane and Shane also fairly liberal guy. Yeah, but I, I he's would say a classic liberal. I listen to a lot of his interviews. I, I kind of I'm kind of on the same page he is with a lot of things. He just has a lot of common sense, and he got railroaded by this culture. 
And, you know, when the, when he got fired from SNL, I go, you better watch your ass, everybody. For the, those celebrating this, you're in big trouble. Well, that's where Lauren should have stepped up. Like, I heard Artie's podcast with Shane Gillis. I, I heard that, that too. Good. And I, I agree with Artie by saying that Lauren should have stepped up in a lot of ways. Like, if you think about it, SNL was way ahead of its time, but only that ahead of its time lasted a couple of years, yeah. where it became it became the man, it became corporate. Because SNL would have, what was it, the band Fear, that Belushi liked, a punk band? Yeah. That would never be on today. Yeah. SNL is nothing more than a public relations stop for an actor who has a new movie and an artist who has a new album that's coming out. And everything else is just a corporate atmosphere. That's why I don't understand why people are like, oh, well, SNL's still got it. No, they are the establishment. If anything, you look back in those days, SCTV was a much better television show and way edgier and for a much more intelligent audience. Yeah, or even kids in the hall for that matter. Yes, exactly. You could break ground. If you're a, a, a machine like SNL, you can break an artist. You can break a performer. You could do something so outrageous that it'll be talked about, like like a Ricky Gervais type thing. I mean, you could really do some powerful things with that. But like you said, it's 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 just a propaganda machine now at this I, point. I don't think they can break anyone anymore. You don't now think? That, now that I think about it, that if Shane, let's say Shane Gillis, it, they didn't care about the, the whole comments, quote unquote, that he was making on a podcast, that he was a part of the show. Let's say Shane's there three to five years. Do you think... You know, somebody in Wisconsin or somebody in Idaho is going to know who Shane Gillis is just based on SNL. I don't think so. Because how many of the SNL, current SNL cast can you name off the top of your head? Uh, Michael Che, Colin Jost. Uh, Kate, and, Kate and McKinnon. Keenan Thompson. Keenan Thompson. Well, Keenan Thompson will be there until he dies. Yeah, and he's good. And then the the Asian guy. I don't even know his the, name. The gay Asian kid. Yeah, he's he, – by the way, you, you can't get Bobby Lee, who's a way better performer. Mm -hmm. Bobby Lee, Asian, was on a sketch show. Hilarious. You got to get the gay guy. Why? Because he's gay. And Asian. Yeah. That's why, because they didn't have a gay – they didn't really have that many gays, and they have an Asian guy. So dumb. So what ends up happening is you you put together a cast, but what do people talk about the next day? Oh, and uh, the, the fucking Pete. Oh, Pete Davidson, yeah. who plays Pete Davidson on every episode. Yeah, no disrespect, but – if he didn't fuck Ariana Grande, nobody give a shit. <laughs> yeah. So SNL's cast, most people don't know who they are. And there were there were people who have left, who started a couple of years ago and have left, that I still don't know who they are because they didn't move on to bigger and better things. It's not the it's not the jump off place that it used to be. Why? Because they put so much focus on having Alec Baldwin as Trump. Oh, Chris and Red, by the way. I Chris Red, too, yeah. yes. Uh, if he's not playing with Kevin Brennan, slapping his <laughs> tea out of his hand. Um, uh, then you have a, uh, um, uh, Bernie Sanders, the, um, uh, Larry David is Bernie Sanders. By you the way, that cold open to Eddie Murphy's legendary episode with the democratic debate was so unnecessary, dreadful, dreadful so long. Everyone there was to see Eddie. It was so, they did not need to do that. That night belonged to Eddie Murphy. They should have just started with Eddie on stage, him doing stand up and cracking on Bill Cosby. All right. Cold open. And he's, he's, he's Gumby. Like, I mean, you're going to get a huge laugh. They're there to see. So them jamming that political thing was not necessary for that particular episode. I don't know how great SNL is for somebody who's leaving the show and being a part of it. Because you look at it for, you know, Finesse Mitchell. 
for example, can go out there on his resume and then when it says, hey, come on out to uh, the Funny Bone, Finesse Mitchell from SNL. And I know go, Finesse. You go, okay. It's like it, he's a funny guy, but did Finesse Mitchell – Finesse Mitchell might have been of the last generation where SNL meant something. Well, I had Brooks Wheeling on my podcast a couple episodes ago. You go listen to it. He was on SNL for a season. And I, I, had, I had no idea he was. Yeah, I mean, he's a funny comic. He's, he's absolutely funny, but – you know, I don't see him starring beside next it, to Will Ferrell in a it movie. Really, should just be NBC Saturday Night now. It shouldn't be live. They yeah. should just do like a sketch show, like they what originally was supposed to be, I think. And that they have NBC Saturday Night, and then tape a bunch of segments and have the guest star in a bunch of those segments. They do their commercials or they do their videos, which I think are actually kind of funny. It's yeah. the live part I don't like. Yeah. Because it's usually it's the same concept. It's so and so has a talk show. So and so has uh, uh, you know uh, it works at a zoo, and it's just the, it's it's not that creative anymore. And that's why that's why I pine for the days of looking at Norm Macdonald and David Spade and Adam Sandler. Well, why did we like those days? Why did SNL have this great comeback in the '90s? Because they were comics. And the thing is about comics is they have timing. They have great timing. But they also had pretty badass writers, too, with Robert Smigel. Uh, you had... Uh, Jim what? Downey. Jim Downey. I think Conan. I mean, there were some really funny... I mean, it was just a... Back of the house, front of the house. It was very funny. Instead, they have so- social justice uh, comedy writers right now and UCB actors. And, yeah. th- and no offense, look, if you went to UCB, that's fine, but... I kind of want a little more out of these uh, instead of an improv actor. I do this with Godfrey a lot. Name the top ten, no particular order, top ten best SNL cast members of all times. Okay. Of all time. Um, I'll go, well, you got to go Eddie Murphy's up there. I agree. I say he's number one. Phil Hartman. I agree. Got to go Belushi just based on track record and everything. I don't necessarily think Belushi. He he might he might be top twenty. Yeah. Uh, now that I think about it, now that I'm looking, but I'll put the best of the best in my opinion. I think you got to go Farley. Yes. Is up there. Absolutely. The aforementioned Eddie Murphy and Phil Hartman, uh, Norm Macdonald, Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller helped change that show too. Okay, five. I'll give you Dennis. Um, Will Ferrell. Oh, Will Ferrell. Yeah, he's he's. I think he's number two. Him and Farley are fighting for number two in my opinion. Um. Gosh. Um, you got to say Sandler. Well, Adam Sandler, Mike Myers. Mike Myers and Dana, Dana, Dana Carvey. Carvey. You can even put them as one yeah, like, just together to, so, in a lot so of ways. We could, but, sh- yeah, we could share. <laughs> but so I, I have nine, and then I'd probably go uh, I'd probably go like uh, Dan Aykroyd at the beginning. Because he helped, he helped jumpstart the show, because even though Belushi was kind of crazy and he did a lot of his characters, Dan Aykroyd – was the second star of the show, I think, after Chevy Chase. Okay, let me challenge you on some. What about Molly Shannon? Mm, she was the first of this beginning of the improv UCB type of actors, like Amy Poehler and and uh, Chris Kattan after that. Um, I liked Molly Shannon based on what she can do, and she was a little little more diverse. Like In that, in that time, they had... Slight, I don't, slightly better women like Anna Gasteyer was a part of it, and uh, Sherry O'Terry. Sure, I don't know what happened to Sherry O'Terry because I thought she was going to be a breakout star herself. And, I thought so too. And she kind of, I think she got a nose job and it just fell apart. What? She got too cute. 
I don't know what happened. I think she got the Jennifer Grey treatment in sketch comedy. What about Nora Dunn? Nora Dunn! <laughs> no, no, by the way, if Nora Dunn had done what she did uh, by protesting Andrew Dice Clay on SNL, she'd be a hero nowadays. In 2020, she'd be a fucking icon. She was a pariah in 1990. She'd she be the be Hannah a, Gatsby of comedy. She would be. She would have her own comedy special. Uh, her and Michelle Wolf would go out on tour, yeah. and it would be this whole woke, uh, you know, Amy Schumer type of bullshit that's out there. That's kind of what's, uh, I think, what will end up happening. But it, Nora Dunn, it's just she was ahead of her time with her SJW stuff. Musical guests, the Cranberries, and your host, Ed Begley Jr. <laughs> Gosh, those. But I loved SNL back in the day because you had comics. Of course. What about Chris Rock? He wasn't on that long, and he was out of place. Yeah. Because he never felt like he fit. It, I think everybody knew that. Yeah. I think everyone knew that, and you knew Chris Rock was was good. It's just he didn't have a place on that show. Yeah. And then he goes over to In Living Color, and then I don't even think he had much of a place on In Living Color either. Yeah, that was towards the end of In Living Color. He had to be his own person. And that's when he was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to do stand-up and make one of the greatest comedy albums of all time. It really was. And he did. He set out to do it. No, it's it's weird. It's uh, it's fun to look back on that stuff and see how it's evolved to garbage. <laughs> well, the best was that I was telling you this the other day because I was listening to the Norm Macdonald uh, his hey, hey. monologue after he when he came back when he was promoting I, either the Norm Show or Dirty Work. I'm not sure, but so Norm gets let go from SNL. He he wasn't he was fired from Weekend Update, but he wasn't fired from the show. And they he's just like, well, there's no point. Yeah. Norm's not a not a character actor. So he, he gets let go, and then about a year and a half later, they bring him back as the host of SNL. And he goes up there and says, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I end up being uh, brought back for SNL, and uh, uh, they said because they fired me because I wasn't funny. Now, here's the thing. I'm still not funny, but the show has gotten way worse. <laughs> and then you hear booing, and that's how some of the writers, like Tina Fey and those comedy writers, because remember, there was a time after Farley, Spade, Sandler, Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, where they started, there were articles that said Saturday Night Dead. Yeah, of course. Where you had a cast that was actually, looking back, as a good cast, where you had guys like Will Ferrell and Jim Brewer was a part of it. And, oh, Brewer was another one. He uh, was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Daryl Hammond. Uh, Colin was... Quinn was doing Weekend Update at that time. It wasn't very good, Colin. With, but you had Kevin Brennan filling in. <laughs> you know, I have to say, I, I watched Kevin, Kevin on uh, Weekend Update, and it's not good. No, well, he, yeah, he, you know, he was nervous. And, and, and if Kevin, if you're listening, by the way, you know how much I love you. It's just it wasn't your spot. Yeah, it wasn't what you're doing right now on Misery Loves Company and shit talking everybody on social media, is is you. Yeah. But Kevin Brennan, the political correspondent in 2000, uh, and talking about Elian Gonzalez, <laughs> mm, not so much. There, there, it just it just wasn't it wasn't your place, and it wasn't Colin's place. Yeah. But, you know, then they ended up taking over and giving it to uh, Jimmy Fallon and Tina Fey. Um, Norm Macdonald hosted my Gotham. Th- that's, and I, I remember we were doing the walkthrough, and the whole time he was just like, "So do I, do I read those cue cards?" He's totally messing with people. He's playing like he's drunk or he's out of it. And I remember talking to uh, one of the camera guys, like, "Is Norm okay?" 
And then he, the show starts. He kills. He knows exactly what he's doing, but he's just playing possum the whole time. He's he's my favorite comic. Now. He's the best because I I think about some of my favorite comics and like David uh, and I love David Tell. And uh, but if you if you get a chance, watch Norm Macdonald uh, at David Letterman's Mark Twain Awards. Yes, it's yes. so funny. Or him doing the ESPYS. Oh yeah, of course. Where, where he says uh, he's sucking. He's like Anthony Mason's here. Uh, Anthony, uh, where he says the or it was the ESPYS are six years old, but if you talk to Anthony Mason, he swears there's eight, they're eighteen, <laughs> and he just starts ripping. Out, and you see Griffey's in the crowd. I mean, it was like the Tom Hanks. Is song. that online? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm gonna go watch it. Oh, when I get it's, home. it's just great. He starts. Um, he did something. He's like, you know, I'm watching the uh, the Winter Olympics and the German losers with these uh, skin tight the leotards. Like my lord. It's like if you look close enough, you can see her whole penis. <laughs> and you just go, this is great. And everyone's boomer Esiason's in the crowd, uncomfortable. Everyone's uncomfortable. And it was it was so brilliant. And you look and realize, like Norm is, uh, which Norm's now in his sixties. Yeah. So it's like, what does he have to lose? But his specials are just so funny. Me doing stand up and Hitler's dog. Are just phenomenal specials. Yeah, yeah. And as much as I love David Tell, I love Norm's unpredictability. Oh, of course. I mean, I, yeah, it's. Tell's an old school comic. That's just what he is. He's a joke teller. He's a great writer. Two different formulas. Two different formulas. Two different styles. But Norm's a joke teller too. Yeah. But it takes him a little bit to get to the joke, and the, the part of it is you're going with Norm's journey yeah. for the joke. You're Norm is Norm is taking you on a journey. And by the time you hit the punchline, you're either mad that you took that journey or it's the funniest joke you've ever heard. Yeah. Like those sp- times when he'd be on Conan. I had to follow his for my Gotham taping. He did 10 minutes that went viral. You could look it up online. He opened the show with 10 minutes and went, Norm MacDonald, and guess who's up next? Me. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I got to follow Norm MacDonald in that fucking brilliant set. And it was at the time Cosby was huge in the news. And he did a – someone said – uh. Worst thing about Cosby, he's a hypocrite. I don't know. I'd say the worst thing about Cosby, he's a rapist. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the timing because you know where he's going with it. It's just, but when he hits you, yeah. Um, didn't he? Didn't he do something like uh, he asked you for something and it was like you made a reference and he thought it was really funny, like a Connie Stevens reference or something? Oh, uh, I did it. I did it for the back of the room and it worked because I saw a ton of comics there in the back. I I I've referenced uh, uh, Judy Carter, who wrote the co- first comedy book. That's right. Yes, it's a legendary comedy book that's still out there. <laughs> People still pick it up, and I, I do some. It's like a bait and switch joke. It's nothing, and I and I just uh, as an aside, I go thanks, Judy Carter. And mm-hmm. Then yeah. after we were down in the like little, uh, they had like a little uh, after party, and Norm goes, "How the hell you know Judy Carter? <laughs> why? Why do, are you friends with her?" <laughs> he goes, He's just messing with you. you giving it, just giving her a shout out, or <laughs> Norm, Norm is one of those guys that you hear all these stories about him, and the the fact that he's really, I think he's like sixty or sixty one, but lied that he was like. He's like born in 1963, but he's really born in 1959. Who lies about four years of their age? Unless you're Kevin Brennan trying to get on SNL. And I've done it. But uh, but cha- but changing like uh, when you have somebody, he's like such an enigma. 
but he's also one of those guys as well where it's like David Tell, where you want to go out partying with him, but he's a strange guy that you probably, probably it's like you don't want to meet your heroes. Yeah. Well, I, 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 Tell has a rough shell to crack. It took me about 10 meets for him to, the, the, the day I thought I made it in comedy is when I was, I was walking in the cellar with Kevin because we had just did his podcast and uh, we're, Dave's out front smoking. He's like, hello, Kevin. Hello, Chad. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. He knows who I am. Okay. This is it. But it took me 10 meetings for him to like have a conversation with me because he's just very socially awkward, like a lot of comics are. Yeah. I never took offense to it. Now, who are, some, who are some of the biggest comics who are not as socially awkward where you could actually sit down and have a conversation, you could talk about sports, you can talk about life, where they're not kind of people that you're like, Okay, well, this is awkward. I'm going to see myself out the back door here. Uh, Todd Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> Screech. <laughs> Screech. Uh, T.J. Miller is very personable. He likes hanging out and talking. Uh, Gino Bisconti. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about the big comics. <laughs> uh, He's an A-lister. Florentine, of course. Florentine's very personable when you talk to him. Um, I'm trying to think of a big name that you would be blown away by. Any comedy store people? Because even somebody like Burt Kreischer has his quirks, too. Rogan's pretty intimidating, I'm sure. Rogan's nice, though. If, you're, you, if you don't get up on him and ask him for anything, if you're like, hey, Joe, nice to meet you, and he, he'll take time and say, yeah. hey, what's going on? Yeah, but Rogan's there. Uh, it's weird because like, I started with D'Elia, so I, I don't know how to gauge that because I already knew him. I'm trying to think of uh, – Swartzen's very friendly. He, Swartzen loves – he'll talk to fans in sports. He loves talking sports. <laughs> What about Mike Buschetti? <laughs> Buschetti, very approachable. <laughs> very approachable. Artie? You go up to Artie. Artie will have a conversation with you. Uh, I'm trying to think. Dave Landau. Dave Landau is very approachable. Here's one thing that I was very uh, shocked by. When Amy Schumer was filming Trainwreck, like legit in the middle of the shoot, and she's just blowing up at the time. I, I was at the cellar. I was sitting at the table with Lynn Coplitz and somebody else. She comes up to the table. Chad, how are you? What are you doing in New York? And I'm just like, wow, you're a big time. St- you didn't have to come over and say that. So I'll say Amy. That's cool. Yeah, I'll give her props. Yeah, it, uh, that's the problem when you talk about with comedy is that these comics are just socially awkward. Like, like I'll sit next to Rich Voss, mm-hmm. and I don't know what to talk about with him. Because I'm afraid, I'm afraid of a couple of things. One of them, he'll call me an asshole, which yeah. could happen, and he'll do that with anybody. If you bitch about stuff, he'll join in. Oh yeah, that, well that's what I found out. <laughs> yeah, is that if you start bitching about uh, anything from golf to Israel or the comedy or community, comedy community, <laughs> uh, he'll join in and he'll start to talk about. It. Or if you're interesting, like if you're somebody who's a comic who went to prison, yeah, he'll talk to you and it's like, wait, you were in prison? Yeah. Where, where were you at, San, San Quentin or Rikers? And if you have an addiction, he's all in. He'll talk to you about that. He'll try to get. He'll try to send you to the first rehab that's uh, outside the comedy club. Yeah, that's yeah, what he does. Yeah. But haven't had a drink, or, drug or drink in my body in thirty four years. But uh, no, it's it, comics are just they're strange people that I think if you're not in comedy, you think that they're they're pe- they're the personality that you see. It's like for example, you and I have done radio, and I work in radio. And you have all these radio groupies that all want to be a part of. They're like, oh, I'd love to hang out with the, with the, this guy who's on the radio. 
like Rover, for example, Rover from who broadcasts in Cleveland and every other small market in the country. And people go like, oh, Rover, I'd love to have a drink with you. You don't want to have a drink with Rover because he's he's a nerd. You want to have a drink with the salespeople because they probably have Coke with them. But you don't want to have a drink with Rover because after the show, he'll go home and he'll, you know, test his drone out or it's some boring oh, lifestyle. Great. Now he's going to start sending fake emails. <laughs> but, th- but that's what it is, is that what you think are the big party people are really not. They're just they're just there. Yeah, it's all an illusion. It's It's what you put out there. It's like, you know, whatever your brand is, if you want to go that route. That's why they like Bert is that he would take his shirt off and get drunk drunk with people before the show. I, he's not really doing that as much no, anymore. He's a now. business guy. At the end of the day, he's all business. I mean, and I get it. He's got a family, and he, I mean, he's a millionaire, and he's racking in tons of money right now. Why fuck that up? But people like it. It's an escape. It's fun, you know. No. David Tell was the party guy forever. He doesn't drink. You know, and they and say basically if he has one more drink, it'll kill him. I think that's what the doctor told him. So yeah. that's a good deterrent. Well, what's uh, okay? That, that brings me to my next one, and I we probably we're wrapping up on time here. Uh, Owen Benjamin. Ah, thoughts on Owen? Um, very woke. No, no. <laughs> He's very progressive. I hear. I you know I have a mixed bag on Owen because I think he's a smart, intelligent guy. I think he's very smart. I've known him. I've known every, every aspect of his life in his well, not I mean, in, in within the career. I mean, he was in it. He was for like for like the first fifth or ten years that you guys were because you basically came up together. Yeah. And for those first ten years, you would probably say from like twenty two thousand five to twenty fifteen, you probably I, knew everything about him, whether he was in the House Bunny. Or I was, was on the on same Sullivan shows. So he was obviously bigger. I remember he was really connected with Jordy Fox over at MySpace Comedy, so he got a lot of stuff on. And then he got in with Swartzen. He was doing a lot of stuff with Swartzen. Then he started – I think he was engaged to Christina Ricci. Yes, he was. He was in a Sandler film. Uh, so he was in it. He was in the mix. And then – He could be the tall, goofy guy, the, the goofy neighbor. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what he was on Sullivan and Son. I think he played the character Owen and was basically retarded. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really watch Sullivan and Son. Uh, it wasn't, you know, yeah. my bag. I, yeah, I got you. You know, I, I, but I rooted for it because there was comics and comics getting opportunities. And, so. and, and friends of yours, like Ryan Dalton. Yeah, so I was happy that people were getting opportunity. But then Owen takes a turn, and then I start hearing all this negative stuff. I'm like, what the hell's going on with this? And then <clears throat> he's going real right wing. I don't, is he right wing? I don't know. He's going, he went off the grid. He's. I don't even want to say he's right wing because I now I don't follow him anymore because he's been banned off. You of can't everything. follow him. You can't follow him. The only way is if you subscribe to his whatever his website is, and uh, so I, I don't know what he's doing right now. I don't know if he's changed to any mindset, but basically he's living off the land. He's living off his comedy dates, and uh, it, but he doesn't have much of them. So what he does, he rents a theater. Mm-hmm. He'll go and rent a theater, and then he'll just take the money from it. So he'll pony up the money, and then he'll take whatever he gets from that. Here's the thing about Owen. I, I don't agree with everything he says, but there's a lot of shit he has says that he's right on the money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, he's calling he's calling bullshit. He's calling your bullshit out, yeah. including friends of mine, and they know deep down there's some bullshit going on. But I question, did he do this for profit, or did he really just, I don't give a fuck anymore? Did he do this because he saw the angle? Was this a conservative uh, conservative? Um, uh, what do you call it? 
So this is early in the morning for me, so my brain's very slow. Well, like, is he a doing career a, move? Yeah, is this a career move where he wants to be more right wing or anything? But the thing is, he's really not that right wing. It's that because, like, he rips on Trump a lot too. Yeah. And but he's a guy that he from this is just based on what I've seen. Now I've met Owen. I've talked to him. I've opened for yeah. him too. Uh, but this was during his transition period. I met him, so he was a cool guy. We had a beer together, uh, hanging out. Um, the Bears, the Unbearables, his fan base. I, I hate that name, by the I way. I, when you name your fan base, don't come on. What are we twelve? I, I don't know if he what named are we the twelve. Come on, come on. We, we, we don't need. Uh, what are you making T-shirts too and shot glasses? Yeah. yeah. But he does. I think he quit drinking too. He's like this. It's just not good for you and. A lot of what he's doing now is he he, he has a – I think he lives up in Washington, not far from Seattle. Be, and the reason for it is that I think the land is more fertile, so he's farming. He's got the background of cutting down trees and basically being a lumberjack. He looks like a lumberjack with his beard now. Um, he, he has a wife and two kids, and they're just growing all their food on their property. And that's how they're living life right now. Well, and it's, uh, I don't know how genuine his his beliefs are, but I, you have to admit. And you for have for to, him to commit that, I think that's him going, I don't give a fuck anymore. This is how I'm living my life. So for him to live off the land and, you know, go go that extreme. Because he's not even 40 yet. It's, yeah. it's one thing if he's 60 or 70 and says, I don't give a fuck. I'm like, uh, you, you could be like Al Campanis or Jimmy the Greek. You made your money. You made your whatever. The one thing he can't complain about, he had a great at bat with Hollywood. I mean, he had a great at bat, so he never got cheated. He, he he got he got a lot of swings in. So, you know, and I I I feel his frustration with the business and a lot of comics being phonies and fake. I feel it. I get it. But at the end of the day, you had a shot and you did some good stuff. You got a nice fucking resume. So you can't be that mad. Yeah, it uh, and. I'd love to actually talk to him. I, I'd love to have a conversation and say, is this. Is this whole thing, is this real or is this, you know? We like, should reach out to him. I bet he would call in and talk. I, I bet he would too, yeah, it, uh, especially for doing podcasts because he knows we wouldn't ambush him. He knows who you are, and uh, and I've talked to him a little bit too. And it's just – Maybe we should do that. What, what's I in, would talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is that Owen Owen's change was when he got dropped by CAA because he didn't believe that you should give hormone blockers to children. And that's where it changed. And I agree. One hundred percent. And they're like, oh, you're transphobic. He's like, my piano teacher, the, the person who taught me how to play classically trained piano is transgender. I didn't have a problem with it. And then he started really looking in and going, these people are mentally ill. And what you're doing is you're promoting a mental illness by saying that it's okay to cut your dick off or it's okay to chop your tits off and whatever it is. And then he went completely into this to this based logos uh, type of mentality. And if it's working for him, like he he did a couple of dates and every single one of them sold out quickly. Yeah. And there's a rabid fan base for him that is not at all mainstream. Now you're gonna people will look at it and say, oh, it's white nationalists, it's uh, you know whatever. But and yes, when you look in the crowd, it's a lot of white people. But there was a couple. There's a couple of black people who, yeah. who were there. I saw. Um, Todd Bridges. Yeah, I think Todd Bridges was there. No, no, he's uh, what's the old joke? Uh, Owen's probably burnt every bridge's butt, Todd. Uh, that sounds like an arty joke. That is an arty joke. Yeah. Like, I burn everybody but Todd Bridges. Did you hear this one about Tony Curtis? No, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not on a Owen hate train because I, I, I never had a personally had a problem with him. He's never talked shit on me. So like, 
So I, I, I don't really have anything against him. It's just interesting the turn he made. And I can understand his frustrations. I, you know, I'm certainly upset. Like, I, I started this podcast off saying I'm, I'm really burned out from this business. I'm not ready to go and shit on everybody because I don't, I don't care, you know? Well, you have a lot of people that get burned out with the business and they're frustrated based on whether the direction of the business or the direction of their careers is not matching the business. And, I mean, uh, we're almost a year removed from the uh, uh, untimely death of Brody Stevens. Mm -hmm. And Brody was kind of one of those guys where a, a fixture at the comedy store, comics loved him, but he was somebody who he may not have said it in his act, but he, you, you and you and uh, Jim Florentine and uh, Sam Tripoli and a couple others had conversations with Brody. Just oh, I had hour hours long conversations with Brody about it. As a guy who was just beat up and put through the fucking dryer with this business, this guy did everything you could possibly do, and then he just got fucking beat up. It's, so. just, it's just it, it's sad. And now, obviously, Brody had his share of issues, sure, too. But a on lot top of, of that, a lot of this was because of because of how the business was, too. I yeah, mean, it takes a lot out of you, man. Well, shit, sad. this is a good podcast. Yeah, it's just we talked about everything. Yeah. A lot of bitching, a lot of uh, a lot of name drops. <laughs> we should we should do a podcast like a separate one together. Just just a podcast where we just let's see what should we bitch about today? Yeah. Perfect. Let's do that. No, because you know it's 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 everyone has these conversations. Mm. We're all going through something. We're all seeing stuff from a certain perspective. There's a lot of people right now who might be agreeing. There's a lot of people who might be disagreeing. You should call it canceled culture. That's what it's called, <laughs> canceled culture. This podcast. Perfect. Thanks for subscribing, everybody. If you could leave a five star review on iTunes, that'd be great. You can hit up the Patreon, three dollars a month. Additional content, $3 a month, everybody. I just realized I was signed up for a podcast for $3 a month, and it did not even affect my bank account. I went an Is entire, that the MLC one? It was, no, it was- Is uh, that the Artie Klein level? The, <laughs> uh, who, who was it? It's uh, the fucking um, Dean Del Rey. I was signed oh, okay, up for, yeah. I signed up for Dean's, and I didn't even realize I was signed up until I, I checked the bank statement. So that's how little $3 a month is. That's my Sally Struthers pitch. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for the tweets. Email me directly, chedzumach3 at gmail.com. Hit up Tony. Where's your social media? At Tony Mazer. Follow me on Instagram. You could just look me up because there, it was a Tony Mazer that was taken who takes pictures of goats. Oh. So it's TMaze25 on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all over the place. WAKR. Check us out there, too. Canceled culture. That's a wrap. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.